Chapter One of Joshua by George Ebers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One. Go down, grandfather. I will watch. But the old man to whom the entreaty was addressed shook his shaven head. Yet you can get no rest here. And the stars and the tumult below. Who can think of rest in hours like these? Throw my cloak around me. Rest on such a night of horrors. You are shivering, and how your hand and the instrument are shaking. Then support my arm. The youth dutifully obeyed the request, but in a short time he exclaimed, Vain, all is vain. Star after star is shrouded by the murky clouds. Alas, hear the wailing from the city. Ah, it rises from our own house, too. I am so anxious, grandfather. Feel how my head burns. Come down, perhaps they need help their fate is in the hands of the gods my place is here but there there look northward across the lake no farther to the west they are coming from the city of the dead oh grandfather father there cried the youth a grandson of the astrologer of amen ra to whom he was lending his aid they were standing in the observatory of the temple of this god in tanis the pharaoh's capital in the north of the land of goshen he moved away, depriving the old man of the support of his shoulder, as he continued, There, there, is the sea sweeping over the land? Have the clouds dropped on the earth to heave to and fro? Oh, grandfather, look yonder! May the immortals have pity on us! The underworld is yawning, and the giant serpent Apep has come forth from the realm of the dead. It is moving past the temple. I see, I hear it. The great Hebrew's menace is approaching fulfillment. Our race will be effaced from the earth. The serpent, its head is turned toward the southeast. It will devour the sun when it rises in the morning. The old man's eyes followed the youth's finger, and he too perceived a huge dark mass, whose outlines blended with the dusky night. Come surging through the gloom, he too heard with a thrill of terror the monster's loud roar both stood straining their eyes and ears to pierce the darkness but instead of gazing upward the star reader's eye was bent upon the city the distant sea and the level plain deep silence yet no peace reigned above them the high wind now piled the dark clouds into shapeless masses anon severed that gray veil and drove the torn fragments far asunder the moon was invisible to mortal eyes but the clouds were toying with the bright southern stars sometimes hiding them, sometimes affording a free course for their beams. Sky and earth alike showed a constant interchange of pallid light and intense darkness. Sometimes the sheen of the heavenly bodies flashed brightly from sea and bay, the smooth granite surfaces of the obelisks in the districts of the temple, and the gilded copper roof of the airy royal palace, anon sea and river, the sails in the harbor, the sanctuaries, the streets of the city, and the palm-grown plain, which surrounded it vanished in gloom. Eye and ear failed to retain the impression of the objects they sought to discern, for sometimes the silence was so profound that all life, far and near, seemed hushed and dead. Then a shrill shriek of anguish pierced the silent night, followed at longer and shorter intervals by the loud roar the youthful priest had mistaken for the voice of the serpent 
of the netherworld, and to which grandfather and grandson listened with increasing suspense. The dark shape, whose incessant motion could be clearly perceived whenever the starlight broke through the clouds, appeared first near the city of the dead and the stranger's quarter. Both the youth and the old man were seized with terror, but the latter was the first to regain his self-control, and his keen eye, trained to watch the stars, speedily discovered that it was not a single giant form emerging from the city of the dead upon the plain, but a multitude of moving shapes that seemed to be swaying hither and thither over the meadow lands. The bellowing and bleeding, too, did not proceed from one special place, but came now nearer and now farther away. Sometimes it seemed to issue from the bowels of the earth, and at others to float from some airy height. Fresh terror seized upon the old man. Grasping his grandson's right hand in his, he pointed with his left to the necropolis, exclaiming in tremulous tones, the dead are too great a multitude. The underworld is overflowing, as the river does when its bed is not wide enough for the waters from the south. How they swarm and surge and roll onward! How they scatter and sway to and fro! They are the souls of the thousands whom grim death has snatched away, laden with the curse of the Hebrew, unburied, unshielded from corruption, to descend the rounds of the ladder leading to the eternal world. Yes, yes those are their wandering ghosts shrieked the youth in absolute faith snatching his hand from the gray beard's grasp and striking his burning brow exclaiming almost incapable of speech in his horror ay those are the souls of the damned the wind has swept them into the sea whose waters cast them forth again upon the land but the sacred earth spurns them and flings them into the air the pure ether of Shu hurls them back to the ground, and now, oh, look, listen, they are seeking the way to the wilderness. To the fire, cried the astrologer. Purify them, ye flames, cleanse them, water. The youth joined his grandfather's form of exorcism, and while still chanting together, the trap-door leading to this observatory on the top of the highest gate of the temple was opened, and the priest of inferior rank called, cease thy toil who cares to question the stars when the light of life is departing from all the denizens of earth the old man listened silently till the priest in faltering accents added that the astrologer's wife had sent him then stammered hora has my son too been stricken the messenger bent his head and the two listeners wept bitterly for the astrologer had lost his firstborn son and the youth a beloved father but as the lad, shivering with the chill of fever, sank ill and powerless on the old man's breast, the latter hastily released him from his embrace and hurried to the trap door. Though the priest had announced himself to be the herald of death, a father's heart needs more than the mere words of another, ere resigning all hope of the life of his child. Down the stone stairs, through the lofty halls and wide courts of the temple he hurried, closely followed by the youth, though his trembling limbs could scarcely support his fevered body. The blow that had fallen upon his own little circle had made the old man forget the awful vision, which perchance menaced the whole universe with destruction. But his grandson could not banish the sight, and, when he passed the forecourt and was approaching the outer pylons, his imagination, under the tension of anxiety and grief, 
made the shadows of the obelisks appear to be dancing, while the two stone statues of King Ramesses, on the corner pillars of the lofty gate, beat time with the crook they held in their hands. Then the fever struck the youth to the ground. His face was distorted by the convulsions, which tossed his limbs to and fro, and the old man, falling on his knees, strove to protect the beautiful head, covered with clustering curls, from striking the stone flags, moaning under his breath, Now fate has overtaken him too! Then calming himself, he shouted again and again for help, but in vain. At last, as he lowered his tones to seek comfort in prayer, he heard the sound of voices in the avenue of sphinxes, beyond the pylons, and fresh hope animated his heart. Who was coming at so late an hour? Loud wails of grief blended with the songs of the priests, the clinking and tinkling of the metal sistrums, shaken by the holy women in the service of the god, and the measured tread of men praying, as they marched in the procession which was approaching the temple. Faithful to the habits of a long life, the astrologer raised his eyes, and, after a glance at the double row of granite pillars, the colossal statues and obelisks in the forecourt, fixed them on the starlit skies. Even amid his grief, a bitter smile hovered around his sunken lips. Tonight the gods themselves were deprived of the honors which were their due. For on this, the first night after the new moon in the month of Farmuthi, the sanctuary in bygone years was always adorned with flowers. As soon as the darkness of this moonless night passed away, the high festival of the spring equinox and the harvest celebration would begin. A grand procession in honor of the great goddess Neith, of Renut, who bestows the blessings of the fields, and of Horus, at whose signs the seeds begin to germinate, passed, in accordance with the rules prescribed by the book of the divine birth of the sun, through the city to the river and harbor, but today the silence of death reigned throughout the sanctuary, whose courts at this hour was usually thronged with men, women, and children, bringing offerings to lay on the very spot where death's finger had now touched his grandson's heart. A flood of light streamed into the vast space, hitherto but dimly illumined by a few lamps. Could the throng be so frenzied as to imagine that the joyous festival might be celebrated, spite of the unspeakable horrors of the night. Yet the evening before, the council of priests had resolved that, on account of the rage of the merciless pestilence, the temple should not be adorned, nor the procession be marshalled. In the afternoon, many whose houses had been visited by the plague had remained absent, and now while he, the astrologer, had been watching the course of the stars, the pest had made its way into the sanctuary, else why had it been forsaken by the watchers and the other astrologers, who had entered with him at sunset, and whose duty it was to watch through the night? He again turned with tender solicitude to the sufferer, but instantly started to his feet, for the gates were flung wide open, and the light of torches and lanterns streamed into the court. A swift glance at the sky told him that it was a little after midnight, yet his fears seemed to have been true. The priests were crowding into the temples to prepare for the harvest festival tomorrow. But he was wrong. When had they ever entered the sanctuary for this purpose in orderly procession, solemnly chanting hymns? Nor was the train composed only of the servants of the deity. The population had joined them, 
for the shrill lamentations of women and wild cries of despair such as he had never heard before in all his long life within these sacred walls blended in the solemn litany or were his senses playing him false was the groaning throng of the restless spirits which his grandson had pointed out to him from the observatory pouring into the sanctuary of the gods new horror seized upon him with arms flung upward to bid the spectres avaunt he muttered exorcism against the wiles of evil spirits but he soon let his hands fall again for among the throng he noted some of his friends who yesterday at least had still walked among living men first the tall form of the second prophet of the god then the women consecrated to the service of amen ra the singers and the holy fathers and when he perceived behind the singers astrologers and pastfori his own brother-in-law whose house had yesterday been spared by the plague he summoned fresh courage and spoke to him but his voice was smothered by the shouts of the advancing multitude the courtyard was now lighted but each individual was so engrossed by his own sorrows that no one noticed the old astrologer tearing the cloak from his shivering limbs to make a pillow for the lad's tossing head he heard while tending him with fatherly affection fierce imprecations on the hebrews who had brought this woe on pharaoh and his people mingling with the chants and shouts of the approaching crowd and recurring again and again the name of prince rameses the heir to the throne while the tone in which it was uttered the formulas of lamentations associated with it announced the tidings that the eyes of the pharaoh's first-born son were closed in death the astrologer gazed at his grandson's wan features with increasing anxiety and even while the wailing for the prince rose louder and louder a slight touch of gratification stirred his soul at the thought of the impartial justice death meets out alike to the sovereign on his throne and the beggar by the roadside he now realized what had brought the noisy multitude to the temple with as much swiftness as his aged limbs would permit he hastened forward to meet the mourners but ere he reached them he saw the gatekeeper and his wife come out of their house carrying between them on a mat the dead body of a boy the husband held one end his frail little wife the other and the gigantic warder was forced to stoop low to keep the rigid form in a horizontal position and not let it slip toward the woman three children preceded by a little girl carrying a lantern closed the mournful procession perhaps no one would have noticed the group had not the gatekeeper's little wife shrieked so wildly and so piteously that no one could help hearing her lamentation the second prophet of amon and then his companions turned toward them the procession halted and as some of the priests approached the corpse the gatekeeper shouted loudly away away from the plague it has stricken our first-born son the wife meantime had snatched the lantern from her little girl's hand and casting its full light on the dead boy's rigid face she screamed the god hath suffered it to happen ay he permitted the horror to enter beneath his own roof not his will but the curse of the stranger rules us and our lives look this is our first-born son and the plague has also stricken two of the temple servants one already lies dead in our room and there lies camus grandson of the astrologer ramery we heard the old man call and saw what was happening but who can prop another's house when his own is falling 
take heed while there is time for the gods have opened their own sanctuaries to the horror if the whole world crumbles into ruin i shall neither marvel nor grieve my lord priests i am only a poor lowly woman but am i not right when i ask do our gods sleep or has some one paralyzed them or what are they doing that they leave us and our children in the power of the base hebrew brood overthrow them down with the foreigners death to the sorcerer mesu hurl him into the sea such were the imprecations that followed the woman's curse as an echo follows a shout and the aged astrologer's brother-in-law horneck captain of the archers whose hot blood seethed in his veins at the sight of the dying form of his beloved nephew waved his short sword crying frantically let all men who have hearts follow me upon them a life for a life ten hebrews for each egyptian whom the sorcerer has slain as a flock rushes into a fire when the ram leads the way the warrior summons fired the throng women forced themselves in front of the men pressing after him into the gateway and when the servants of the temple lingered to await the verdict of the prophet amon the latter drew his stately figure to its full height and said calmly let all who wear priestly garments remain and pray with me the populace is heaven's instrument to mete out vengeance we will remain here to pray for their success end of chapter one